0: cut the eyes of it. I'm Eloisa, and this is and this is
1: Peter, and we live and we're from Kyabra Station. Um, and Where's Kyabra Station? Oh, yeah. New so- um, between Armidale <laughs> um, and Tamworth, New South Wales. Yeah. Um, and we are pretty keen on Jesus and Mary, and yeah. we really enjoy them coming to visit us. Uh, um, yes. And we have so many questions. Well. I sometimes get blocked about asking the questions, but we do have a lot of questions that we'd love to discover yeah. um, about. Yeah. Um, and today, we'd love to know more about God.
2: Yeah. So, you, the subject of your questions today, primarily about God? Um,
1: yeah, yeah we, we've we got quite a few questions, but we feel that probably there'll only be a number that will be answered today. Sure. Um, so, we thought we'd start with what we feel is the most important ones first, which might not be, yeah. but we'll no. try I it out.
3: Start with a crunch like. Um, <laughs> I guess from my side of it too it's like whenever you mention God like people either cringe or they get excited so it's <laughs> like we like for myself it's like wanting to learn to develop this friendship with God yeah. and it's like so I guess our first question is how do we find out about God
2: Yeah I suppose that that is a really good question actually um, the way most people find out about God is not unfortunately not from God so what what most people do is they they sort of t- talk about God with each other. Um, it's a bit like it's a bit like yourself and Eloisa never meeting me, never uh, just maybe hearing about me from a third party, yeah. and then deciding that uh, that you can work everything out about me by talking with each other <laughs> about me. <Yeah. laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. And and this is what I feel most people do with God. They they on, on Earth we talk to each other about God. And uh, some have the view, of course, that God doesn't exist and some have the view that God does exist and then some have the view that God does exist and these are his personality traits and other people feel that God does exist but they're completely opposite personality traits. But really what it all is, is discussion with each other about a third party that you've never met and, and never connected to. Yeah. So what we need to do is to stop talking about God with each other and start actually talking to God about God. Not just
3: when we're desperate and needy and wanting something.
2: Yeah. Now, there are a number of ways we can find out about God uh, without talking to God, of course. And, in fact, God has designed the universe in such a way that we can discover quite a lot about God without actually talking to God. But, unfortunately, to find out the real core of God's personality and and feelings there has to be a way to establish communication with God and that would make sense anyway it's a bit like uh, asking a child to find out about his parents when it was just dumped in a test tube and never had a parent of either in either direction and in some ways a lot of people on the planet believe that's what God's done to us um, they actually believe in, in a lot of ways that what God has done is dumped our soul, connected to a te- to a test tube baby created by two parents, basically, and and then God, the real parent of the soul, um, has never then communicated with that particular person. So the the other problem that I find too on the planet is that we always tend to gravitate towards people that we believe know more than ourselves about something. So, yeah. so for example, if uh, if you know about uh, sheep farming, which obviously you do, and I don't know anything about it, instead of uh, me um, trying to find out it by, by myself, which 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 obviously would take quite some time, I would it would make sense for me to come to you yeah. and and learn about sheep farming from you. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, the only problem with the discussion with God in doing that though is that. The problem is you've never met God either. And if I've never met God and you've never met God... I just share all my injuries (laughs) with you. You just share all of the things you believe about God, none of which are proven to be factual at any point in time because you've not actually personally experienced that relationship. But even if you had personally experienced that relationship, um, I still would have difficulty understanding you because because it's still like talking about a third party that I've never met. And so... In the end, the only real way to find out about God is to develop a personal relationship with God. Yep. Now, that can be done through a variety of means, I feel.
3: Yeah, because some people it's like I find it really hard to, to talk about God or to share thoughts with God. Mm-hmm. But we can observe God in our natural day-to-day living too. You can.
2: you can. So the environment that we see around us is a good reflection to a degree of God. It's not a perfect reflection because... When we observe something as humans, we actually change the things we observe. Yeah. So, so this is something we've got to be careful doing when we're analysing creation around us and how it all operates. How creation around us operates currently is very much affected by humankind's own impositions upon it. And so we can't always completely assume that how the creation is working is a complete reflection of the Creator. That's when we start guessing things and thinking, yeah. Yeah. So, for example, let's say an animal attacks another animal. We've the, we can then make the assumption, for example, that uh, God allows for the attack of one animal over another. Yep. So, in other words, what appears to us to be quite an unloving thing occurring in that particular moment, we believe that God allows it, so therefore God must allow the yep. the attack of one animal and another not understanding that these animals are reflecting our own condition, our own desire to attack other people. So
3: they're reflecting the hierarchy that we have as humans on Earth
2: at the moment. Yes. There's an order. Yes. So we don't factor in that there's a possible third explanation for why that animal is attacking the other animal. So what we do when we look at nature sometimes is we look at nature and we go, that's happening, so now I can make these assumptions about God. But you've got to be very careful about your assumptions that they actually factor in all of the variables and unfortunately mankind is very apt to forget himself as the primary variable when it comes to the effects on nature. So so while discovering God through nature is possible to a degree, it's not completely possible to see all of God's personality or character or attributes through that connection because of the effect we ourselves are having on that on the nature around. So,
3: so when we start talking to God, mm-hmm. do you do you get a feeling back from God, or how? Like, if you're open to actually being in a space of love and and wanting to desire to know God, is it a feeling or a law of attraction that you generally experience?
2: Well, let, let's first define um, communication with God, shall we? So, yeah. so nice. a lot of people today believe that you can have an intellectual communication with God. And many people even believe that they can hear God, uh, uh, yeah. either with thoughts or or even with words coming into their ears. And I, I want to say categorically that is not true. That's just spirits that are sharing. Well, initially the person may know, not, may not know what it is, but eventually you discover that, yes, there are spirits who believe themselves to be God even. Yeah. And when you think about it on earth, there are many people on earth who believe themselves to be much better than other people on earth. And so it should come as no surprise that there are spirits who have passed over into the spirit world who, after a bit of development of their own and a bit more analysis of the universe, start believing themselves to be God. Mm -hmm. And those spirits certainly can communicate to us via our thoughts and and words in our ears. And so those spirits certainly do share their belief systems with people on earth. So so people like... um, you know, A lot of the people who are founders of religious faiths have actually founded their religious faith yep. through this connection with a spirit who believes themselves either to be God... And that's
3: why they have this certainty and this nobleness that this is definite,
2: because I... Because I connected with a spirit and he talked to me and he told me these things and I wrote them down and, and there is a feeling in the person that, that that connection was God when the reality was it was just a spirit who is in the same position as the person in the sense that they've still not experienced god yep. and so therefore they've they're now relaying what they now feel is god to the individual and on the earth we have many examples of this like you've got Course of miracles you've got uh, you've got the conversations with god by neil donald walsh and all of those kind of of communications so called yep. with god are actually not with god but rather with spirits claiming to be god or who believe they know God. And and many of them actually have never met God or had a personal relationship with God, unfortunately. So, so there's a lot of misinformation on the planet. So that's
3: why the average person out there feels that we're not in a position to talk to god because of this belief system that we created that only people of you know religious faith and that have the possibility
2: or are allowed to yeah or there is this underlying belief system sometimes that you have to be of a certain type of person or a certain holiness to talk to yep. god and this is what drove a lot of the priesthood and, and monk type uh, formats in terms of you know, if I become a monk and I become holy and I'm no longer connected with uh, sexuality and other issues, then now I'm in a higher position and I've got a much larger chance of talking to God. So, unfortunately, there's all these what you would call there's all this misinformation about on the planet about about how to find out about God, and unfortunately, most people find out about God from other people who do not know anything about God either. Yeah,
3: which is which is like a compounding of the problem. So it starts with our parents and then just goes from
2: there. Yeah.
1: And so how do we find out, like, practically? And Well, before As I we discuss that,
2: effect? if I can discuss a few more of the problems associated yeah, sure. with it on the planet, perhaps. Like, for example, you have the scientific uh, community now. Uh, they, of course, um, start from the premise that God has to prove himself to me before before I can have any mm-hmm. connection. And so rather than going by a different assumption, which they could do, they take that assumption. Now, that assumption in itself has certain uh, flaws as well, just like all other assumptions that we make on earth. But many of the people in the scientific community judge the potentiality of God through the religious format of the other people who believe in God. Okay, so, so yeah. So, so now we get uh, people, and, and, I, and I cannot agree with the religious beliefs about God. Um, because if you look at them, very many of them are very illogical, let alone uh, impossible to... Uh, and secular, um, that
3: you have to be part of a certain faith, or you have to...
2: Yes, all of those beliefs too are all part of this uh, misinformation, if you like. And, and so it, we need to get down to one basic premise. If, if God yeah. exists, yeah. Yeah. then God would have given all of her children a method of communicating with her quite simply. That would make sense. Yep. Yeah. Just like uh, if we exist and we have a child, we teach the child a language. Yep. And that language is then used to communicate mm. be, from myself to the child and from the child to myself. And we teach the child that language. So, so it would make sense then that if there was a God, that God would have created a language of some kind that no other, no other individual can use easily. That, it's that, not corrupted. That it cannot be corrupted too mm. much that can be a direct communication between God and the child, the, yeah. the child of God that God created. So that would make logical sense. If, if there is a God that exists, God surely would have done that, just like if we have a child uh, through, you know, if we, we get together with a, with a mate, create a child, we engage mm-hmm. that same process with our child. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense then that God would have created some form of language to communicate that it, that any even young child could understand yeah. the problem that mankind does with that is that they then take that possibility and and they want to you know create rules and other laws and principles associated with it they want to say it's only available to the holy and not to the unholy and they want to come up with all of these to
3: control it to
2: control it but but of course, it will not be able to be controlled. The the reality is that each individual has the ability to communicate with God directly, and and that being the case, um, surely has the ability to understand the language of that communication. Mm. And it would also make sense that that language of communication with God is independent of earth-based languages.
0: Mm.
2: In other words, I don't have to communicate with God in English. I don't have to communicate with God in you know, French or Spanish or yeah. some other language. Yeah. It would also make sense that the intellect is not going to be perhaps the entire means of communicating with God because the intellect always has limitations. We, we have un- limitations of understanding. Also, the intellect cannot convey a lot of information that God could convey. Now, let me illustrate how that is the case. Yeah, When the two of you entered a relationship, there were feelings (laughs) that you transmitted to each other through that relationship. Some of those feelings had words associated with them, yes? Yes. Mm -hmm. But some of the feelings had no words associated with them. Didn't make sense. Yeah, it didn't even make sense. But you felt it from each other. Does that make sense? You felt a feeling from each other. Now, how do you create... A communication method that conveys the feeling through thought it's very hard isn't it It's yeah, like okay. saying how, how how do you define how do you define love as a thought mm. see most people would say love is a, th- a lot of people would do say love is a thought but actually love is more than a thought yeah. because it, it has an emotion associated you have an
3: experience it. within the...
2: that's yeah. correct
3: Definitely.
2: yeah so so there are feelings that unless you can feel them, you're never really going to understand them with thought. It's a bit like trying to describe to a to a nine-year-old child what it's like to fall in love. When they get to be 14 or 15, they fall in love for the first time, and all of a sudden they know what it's like to fall in love. Does that make sense?
3: Some of the spirit friends are saying too, so that means then too, regardless of whether we're here or we've passed, this saying process is actually going to be there
2: exactly so so it makes sense though if you go if you look at it that the intellect is actually a very very limited form of communication and god would god's form of communication or god's language with us if you like to call it could not be limited by the intellect it has to be more than the intellect does that make sense so it would make sense that it is more than the intellect and when i thought about these things in the first century Uh, I realised that God's language of communication had to involve the feelings and emotions of the individual rather than just the intellect. It might encompass the intellect but would not just include the intellect only. And I also realised by my observance of the, the religious formats that were around me at the time that many people used their intellect but their feelings were completely the opposite of what they were saying in their intellect. So we say one thing when we're projecting another thing out. Yes. So we say one thing when we're feeling something quite different. Yeah. And I realised if God was the all-powerful creator that I imagined God to be at the time, of course I didn't know God to be that at the time, I just imagined God to be that at the time, And I realised that God would be able to easily see the difference between a thought that is imagined or, or real and the emotion, the true feelings of the individual. And so I realised after that 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 actually it's the emotional feeling side of the individual it had to be the primary way in which we communicate with God. Is, is that because that's our true self, the emotion?
0: Well, you know,
2: at the time I didn't consider it to be necessarily the true self. I just thought that uh, the reality is what, from what I observed around me was that many people were falsifying their true self with, with many people when I say falsifying their true self, what I meant was that, that many people around me were saying one thing out mm. of their mouth, which obviously came from their intellect, but at the same time feeling something quite mm. different from from their emotions, which I began to see as something completely different in terms of the person. So I started to see at the time that the intellect, uh, which, I, which I now know to be a part of the spirit body's mind, but back then I hadn't discovered that at this point, mm. I just started seeing the intellect as a very limited ability, with a very limited ability to accurately communicate information to another human, let alone to, to, to God. Yep. Yeah. Then I also thought about the potential, well, that's about our communication with God. What about God's communication with us? Yeah. And it would make sense, if you think about it, that God's communication method with us would have to also involve feelings and emotions. Does that make right, sense? Yeah. Rather than just thoughts, because thoughts are limited. So how does God give you the sense that you're loved by giving you a thought? It's very, okay. very hard. Yeah. Right? How do you give your child a sense that she is loved?
1: Yeah, it's not a thought.
2: By so a thought. We, you yeah. can't, do you? It's yeah. by no. what we do and actually how we share. Exactly. It's by what you do, how you act, but also how you express yourself in terms of your feelings to your child. So if you're saying to your child, I love you, and at the same time in a rage with your child, yeah. the child's not going to feel any sense of love from you. No. Right? And if you say, I love you, but all the time you're totally distracted whenever the child is nearby, um, and you, you're totally disconnected from the child in any way in terms of projection of that feeling then of course the child is not going to feel that you love them. It's just the words to them that mean nothing. And so I, at that time I started experimenting with this concept. So, I, so I'd used my intellect logically to determine the fact that, yes, I felt that there was a God that existed because of what I saw in creation, although I did see distortions in creation of love, which I could, couldn't imagine being God, but I had no explanation for it that at the time. But secondly, I started to examine the intellect and its limited capacity to communicate. So I realised that the intellect had a limited capacity to communicate true feelings, even between humans, let alone to, between a human and another being. And, and then I realised that uh, if the natural way of a very young child was to feel rather than think, yeah. then it would make sense, and, and God would naturally have a way of communicating with a young child, then it would make sense that the way God communicates is via these feelings rather than thoughts.
3: So with a young child, that's when they're hungry, they feel hungry. It's when they're uncomfortable, they're feeling uncomfortable
2: yeah. rather than thinking And before they can even speak, yeah. they're already in the feeling. And if you can sense the feeling, you know when to feed them. And, you, and in fact, now a lot of mothers have realised that they can actually feel when their child has mm. to go to the toilet. Mm. And instead of just they actually put their child on the toilet and fair enough the child goes and they don't need to worry about nappies as much anymore because because they can already feel when the child has feelings about what they want to do rather than you know something that they have to verbally state to the mother yeah. and once i realized and saw all of this occurring i started experimenting with the idea that i could feel things things towards god which god would be able to then would be able to hear if you like through god's feelings yeah. and god would be able to feel things from me and i would be able to hear if, if we could use yeah. it in quotation marks those feelings by actually feeling them rather than in other words we could i could feel god's feelings and god could feel my feelings
1: okay i don't know if it's appropriate this but i want to ask about how did you recognize that that might be a bit later I don't know, but...
2: well obviously when i first started experiencing that i didn't understand who, whose feelings were what so you know were they my feelings <laughs> or, my feelings or yeah. you know like it was hard to determine because i had never really experimented with this before uh, i started to connect with my own feelings but uh, it was difficult to know what, where your external feelings were coming from and so what i started to do is experimenting with feelings that i could sense from other people first yeah. so i started sensing Through this development of this, I started feeling whether I, you know, using my intellect to actually experiment with feeling other people. And then I would ask them what they felt. And if they were an honest person, very frequently, exactly what I felt from them was what they were feeling at the time. And then I started realizing that actually I could very accurately feel what people were feeling. And, and it was a very different feeling to what I had inside of myself about the same subject. All right. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah.
2: And then I realised that I could try the same experiments with God. So I spent quite a lot of time alone, even as a young child. Um, you know, So by this stage, I was 9 or 10 years of age uh, and starting to experiment with, with my relationship with God by feeling for God. Before then, I had feelings about God that I didn't experiment with on a conscious level. Yeah. But by this stage of my life, I started experimenting with them on a conscious level. In other words, going through a process of experimentation to see whether I could feel God's feelings and so forth. And what I started recognising was there was a consistency in my ability to feel or sense certain things from God. And and with the feeling, I realised all these thoughts came as well. But not they were thoughts generated... Not by any external uh, mm. creation. So
3: is this after the feeling? Or after
2: I... I had the feeling, then then it would resolve a lot of my questions instantly without me anybody telling me the resolution of those questions. So I started feeling that, oh, all I've got to do is allow these feelings coming from God. As I allowed these feelings coming from God, I started realising that I could now get information about all sorts of other things because these feelings that seem to open up a capacity in me to understand everything yeah. mm-hmm. that I couldn't pr- previously understand. Can you give an example? Certainly, I can give a lot of examples, perhaps. Uh, for example, when I was very, very young, I used to try to understand the role of insects in... Like, I was fascinated, yeah. as most children are, fascinated yeah. by insects, right? So you, I would try to understand the role of insects. Now... Insects have very, very complex symbiotic roles with, with, with the rest of nature. And, of course, because of their complexity, it's very, very difficult for a child to understand. Yeah. Right? So, but what I found was if I communicated with God and I longed, I had this, I realized after a while that if I longed for the feeling from God to understand this particular thing, and also longed for God's love to... You know, for, for God's love. And, and the way I saw it at the time was not so much longing for God's love, but longing for this connection with God. This, to So, maintain so in that God's process,
3: God. it's a desire to know rather than... Yeah, you were actually wanting to know what's going on yeah. rather than...
2: Yeah, I wanted to know other things too. Yeah. But I primarily focused on my desire for God and yeah. my desire to feel God. Yeah. But I realised that if I had any questions at the same time about other things that were around me, through this connection, whenever I felt God, like, felt God's feelings for me, I started to be able to know the answer to the question. It was just
3: the answer was there.
2: The answer was there. So I started discovering the relationship between certain insects and certain plants and what happened and why they were there. With, and, and it was not scientific knowledge that was easily available at the time. You had to go to people who were very learned men, usually quite aged, in different spent countries their other, their other whole than where lifetime. I yeah, <laughs> he spent so. their whole lifetime learning about it. And, and yet, all of a sudden, I knew. Wow. And, and this became quite an amazing process for me to experiment with then. I started realising that I didn't actually need to be educated by anybody because God had the ability to educate me through this connection about everything, not, not just about God, but also about everything else. Of course, for me, the primary education that I was attempting to receive was about God, because that Mm. was the thing that fascinated me the most. But but I found, as a subsequent result of the communication with God, and the communication wasn't verbal, and the communication wasn't thoughts. It was this emotional feeling going back and forth between myself and God that I could feel for God, and I could feel from God. And as I received those feelings, other things became very, very... I knew them all of a sudden. And, and then sometimes I would experiment with what I knew, of course, to find out whether it was just a knowledge, whether it was a practical knowledge or whether it was just a theory. So that's a good
3: suggestion for all of us
2: to mm. do as well. Yeah. So, so what I finished up doing was, was entering this, what I would call a feeling-based dialogue with God, which, which became for me a permanent thing. So I was constantly, before I talked to anybody else, I would talk to God. In fact, frequently, I wouldn't talk to anybody else. I would just talk to God. My father, even when I was very young age, like three or four years of age, my father was very concerned because I I would even speak to God out loud as I was doing these other things, even by that age. And and he would wonder why I'm talking to myself all the time and what's going on. And he was quite concerned. And he would talk to my mum Mary about it and, and she... She would say, it's all right, it's a passing phase, you know, like, you'll it, it, get over that. <laughs> He's a boy. You'll get over that. And then when I'm nine or ten and I'm still doing it, my father's now getting really worried because <laughs> it wasn't such a passing phase as he wanted it to be. And, uh, and I continued that dialogue um, through my entire life. And when I was alone, quite often I, I would speak openly with God like, out loud. But when I was with other people, I started realising that it seemed to distress them quite a so, well. so, lot. <laughs> so, so is the start usually. here, when
3: you have a question, is it feeling how you're feeling within yourself first? Is that like the first thing to do or not?
2: Well, the problem with using this method is that you have to be sensitive to your own feelings first. And yeah. what I realised uh, through this process was that not many people were actually sensitive to their own feelings. A lot of times they didn't even so know. So we're them. not honest
3: even with actually how we're feeling. Yeah,
2: yeah. So, you know, quite often a person would say they loved somebody when they actually hated them. Yeah. Quite often the person would say that they were, you know, that they were happy when they looked actually quite sad. And you could feel their sadness. Quite often, you, you, you know, a person was act, acted like they were fearless. But you can yeah. see all the fear in them. You'll feel all the fear in them. Once I, remember, I went through this experiment of feeling people first. Yeah. So, so I started realizing that, that a lot of people actually thought they felt certain things, but they didn't feel them. Yeah. And, and that is obviously a problem. If, if you can't feel what you actually feel, yeah. then how are you also going to feel something that is transmitted to you from another, whether that That's person is, a pers- is an individual on earth or in the spirit world or God herself? So, so I realised that it was very, very important to actually understand your own feelings. And so I spent a lot of time uh, in the first century, and, and even I do the same, this so understanding my own feelings, mm. trying, trying to get some kind of... Firstly, trying to feel them so I know what <coughs> they are. And then, of course, once you feel them, you can understand them. Now, most people on Earth have been taught to heavily use their intellect. So, so most people are yeah. on earth, unfortunately, quite dis- their, their, their feelings and their thoughts are very separate from each other. Yeah. And so the method of communication with God is quite difficult then because they think they're having a feeling that they're not actually having. Now, if I can give you an example yeah. of that. Quite a lot of people on earth are in a rage with God. Yeah. Even people who are in religions, many of them are in a rage So, with so the
3: rage is the blame... To God? Yeah,
2: they blame God for all sorts of things that have happened in their life. They feel God's to blame and God hasn't helped them and God hasn't made them safe and God hasn't done all of these mm-hmm. different things. So they're quite angry. Mm-hmm. So many people who you would say, do you love God? They go, yes, I love God and I believe in God. And yet at the same time, they're in a rage with God. Mm-hmm. Now, what I realised in the first century is that love and rage are two very, very different emotions, right? Yep. And, and you, can't, you can't have one and the other together in the same person at the same time so yeah.
3: wherever you're in a rage you're not going to have a connection with God
2: well no that's the, that's the other thing I learned is that you had to just be truthful with your emotion with God
3: so I own the fact that I that am in a rage, okay.
2: and then you could still maintain your connection with God you could still feel the connection with God if you did this and this is one thing that I learned as well the, the importance of a truthful reflection of your emotional condition with God so in other words, if I am in a rage with God, feel my rage with God. And that's okay. You, and that's, and the best. that's what God wants you to that's feel because you're in a rage with God. And then He ha- you have a chance to get to the underlying fear that creates the rage. And then the underlying grief that creates the fear. And, and what I found through that process was that actually God wanted us to be real. Yep. <laughs> Be not, ourselves, not faked. Yeah. You know? yeah, which of course makes sense. Yeah. You know, why would God want to connect with somebody who's being faked? You
1: know? and that's that's going to answer then that us want to ask about um, if you're in such denial um, and you're not even feeling it, like you've convinced yourself that you're not in a rage with God. Then it's through that same process you've been describing that you're actually going to discover that you actually are in a rage with
2: God. Yes, and
1: until you go through that, you're yes. not even going to know. Exactly. Okay. So,
2: so what happens on Earth, unfortunately? is most people begin by not being able to feel God, or even feel themselves to a large degree. Now, um, so what needs to happen first is a person needs to learn how to feel themselves. When they can learn how to feel themselves, then they'll feel their actual feelings that they have about Mm -hmm. God. And once they feel their actual feelings about God, they can start expressing them. So for example, a scientist who did that, who doesn't believe in God would say, look, God, I don't even believe in you. (laughs) That's my feeling. Mm -hmm you've not proven yourself to me, you've not shown yourself to me, and you can even enter a dialogue with God saying that you don't believe in God, yeah. right? And and find, in the end, a connection with God through that process, right? Mm. But what I feel happens a lot of times on earth is that we we go through this process where we we have the feeling, like, yeah. and then we believe the feeling as truth. When I say believe the feeling as truth, we believe it as the ultimate truth. So, for example... I have a feeling inside of me that God never protected me. I I asked for God to protect me. Let's say as a child I believed in a God and I asked for God to protect me through some hard processes or things that happened to me and God never protected me from those particular things and so I came to believe that God didn't care about me or there was no God as a result of that particular event. Now, now, Unfortunately, for most people, when they become an adult like that, they then assume that that belief is true. When there could have been circumstances that would explain why a person couldn't communicate with us at that particular time or or connect with us at that particular time. There might have been principles or other things involved that we are not aware of at the time. So what I'm saying is we need to be truthful about our emotional condition as it is currently with God. But that's how we open this dialogue with God. And if we're in a rage with God, we express this rage. So for most God. of us,
3: we're either going to be in a rage or we're going to have this enormous amount of gr- grief currently. For,
2: yeah, for most, there's an enormous amount of uh, anger with God. Yeah. There is also quite a lot of fear with God for most people because in, in their childhood, most people were told that if you didn't do the right thing, God would yeah. punish you. Yeah. And so there is this common concept on the earth that God is a punishing God. And so many people in earth, even in, in, in religions, walk around with a lot of fear about God. They, they believe God is going to come along at some point and punish them for their wickedness. So they are very, very tentative about experimenting with anything. Mm-hmm. And they also feel that anything that is, you know, sl- slightly out of line might be wicked. So they, they even try to not do that, but their heart's telling them to do it. And then they get into this convoluted mess in terms of f- guilt, of guilt and self-punishment and so forth which is religiously often accepted as, a, as, a, as okay, as a, as a part of the holy process. And unfortunately, we end up with this, uh, this mess of emotions that we have towards God, which we don't express because we're so afraid of yeah, God. We're, we're terrified about the
3: thought of letting them out.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so, so many of us are quite shut down in our relationship with God. We, we, we view God like a very angry, uh, overbearing parent, who has the potentially to fly off the handle at, at the drop of the hat, mm. And uh, as the saying goes. And and so we have this viewpoint that um, I've just got to make one little mistake and God's got to be on me.
1: So <laughs> running know? around being really good all mm. the time, or trying or to trying,
2: be good. Or <laughs> yeah. we go to the extent of going oh, blow that, and often we use a lot more severe language than that, right? And we go, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to rebel if, if, for the rest of my life. If like that, I don't want to you know, be, be any, have any part of him. And then we go into total rebellion and, and go completely the opposite direction often. So, so we end up with these um, experiences on earth where people are either living in what they believe to be in harmony with God or God's yeah. laws or principles, often because they're so so terrified Mm. of God, or they go down and totally (laughs) rebelling against God and saying there is no God or anything else because of the rage and anger that exists in them from their child. So
3: that's why talking about God makes so many of us uncomfortable. It's this experience we've had of religious people, especially when we're young, sharing their beliefs around God that make us cringe.
2: Well, unfortunately, though, it's even deeper than that. Um, The main reason why we have so much discomfort associated with God is because of what happened during our childhood with our parents yeah you see god is often associated all of the emotional uh, injuries and feelings that we have with our parents are imposed upon god so if my mother was a bit aloof and, and and didn't take much interest in me i feel that the feminine side of god is aloof and doesn't take much interest in in her children if if my father was the one who came home with a strap whenever I was disobedient. Then I then start imposing the idea upon God that the daddy side of God, if you like, the father side of God, is going to punish me for every mistake I make. Yeah. and uh, And any time I disagree with him. <laughs> and, so, and so we have these very distorted concepts of God by a very young age. Not, not necessarily because we've been taught them verbally. Yeah but because of the interaction we've had with our parents and with any other religious system. Mm. And uh, you know, on the earth, there are very large religious systems that have a large amount of impact upon people's lives. So therefore, there is a very, very strong indication of whether God exists or doesn't exist in a family and also what God's character and nature is. Bearing in mind, of course, that the parents don't know what God's character and nature is. They've just gone through exactly the same process themselves with another set of parents, who who, did, yeah. who believed they knew, who did not know, because they hadn't connected with God either. Yeah. So that's
3: why, yeah, from a very young age, we just start ignoring God straight away.
2: Often we either ignore God, or we're so afraid of God that we do everything we believe God wants us to do. Yeah. Either way is often very out of harmony with communication with God. Yeah. Right. So, so God wants us in the end. If you experiment with this, and this is a beauty. This is a beauty too. If we do this in this manner. We are now independent of any teacher Mm. that would ever come across our path. So it's up to us. It's up to us. And this would make sense too, that all of humanity was created equal. Mm. Since all of humanity was created equal, all of us have an equal capacity to have a personal relationship with God. Therefore, we do not need a priest we do not need a prophet we do not none of us need any of these things we all have the personal ability to communicate with God directly because God established that ability is a part of his creation of us just like when we have a child the ability for language is a part of the child's nature so we can communicate and eventually establish a language a form of communication between us and the child and and la- while language is a very limited form of mm. communication, because it's usually only intellectual and verbal, it, it does have words that express emotions. Uh, but usually if a person uh, feels the emotion, you, you really don't need the words. And this is why you can you know, get to someone, talk to someone who's a Portuguese yeah. and, and you can see when he's angry. You yeah. can see when he's sad and you can see when he's afraid and you can see all of these things and he doesn't have to say a word because there is this other language, which I would call the language of the soul, which is a far more effective method of communication because it tells us exactly how a person feels. And And that's what
3: we're actually using when we're communicating with God. It's coming through our soul? Well, that's
2: what we have to use to communicate with God. There is no other way of communicating with God without involving that. And this is where I feel most people make the mistake. They believe that they can communicate with God intellectually without their feelings being involved. Mm And without their real self being engaged. So
3: with that, though, so all our feelings come from our soul. Is that what we're saying?
2: Um, not necessarily. We, we remember, we can have feelings that come from within us yeah. and go out to some people outside or to God. Mm. But we can also have feelings that enter our soul that come from outside of us and enter us, that, yeah. that we allow to enter us. So this is how, if I'm in love with my life, if I'm in love with Mary, I can... I can feel my love for her. I can also feel the times when she loves me, and yeah. um, because that's a feeling that's external to myself, that I, I can, I, that I'm open to allowing enter me, and so it enters me, and so I can feel it from her without her saying anything. And and it's the same principle with our communication with God. So so not all feelings come from just within us. So we're all capable of transmitting feelings. And so you could say that every feeling has the ability to be transmitted and received, just like an electronic signal has the ability to be transmitted and received, and just like our thoughts have the ability to be transmitted and received.
0: Yeah.
2: But, but, but when we have all of those things happening at the same time, our thoughts and our feelings in complete harmony, now we have a lot of power in the transmission, and therefore in the reception. To the strength, yeah, we strengthen the whole accuracy of what we're going to get back. Yes. So if I, as a parent, was yelling at my child and telling them that I love them, say, so, okay. I love you, you silly idiot, that type of thing, which a lot of parents do, right? Yeah. Not quite in that language, they're often swearing at them at the same I time. I love you, but
3: go to bed. <laughs> yeah. I, I love
2: you, but. Or, or even they're angry while they're saying, I love you. But, yeah. How dare you do that? I love you, you know, like when there's just rage coming from the person then the child is feeling completely two separate things. Yeah. They're feeling the feeling dominantly, mm. and, and and then the thought, you know, gets, causes them intellectual confusion generally. Like, this doesn't feel like love to me, so you're telling me... So inside of the child, basically, what's going on is you're telling me that when you're yelling at me, you're loving me. Wow. And... and And so they then start, you know, there's a lot of confusion now in terms of what, between the feeling and the thought. And we've
3: got this for the rest of our life until we open up to it.
2: Yeah, exactly, until we understand that the reason why we're so confused is that what we were told was very different to what we felt. Mm. Once we have uh, the ability to to accurately relay every single time the same thing as we think and feel, so in other words... What I feel is what I verbally say at the same time. Once that happens, now the person on the receiving end is in no doubt as to my feelings and thoughts. Mm. Because now the emotion and the thought are in harmony with each other. One thing we need to understand with ourselves is that if our emotions and thoughts are out of harmony with each other, Then it's very then then the message that God receives from us is is primarily our feelings and not our thoughts. It's just the same as the message that a child would receive from us. It'd be mostly our feelings and very little of our thoughts. And so we need to understand that the primary method of communication non is really in a lot of ways nonverbal, but it can include verbosity. But it is nonverbal in the sense that it's feeling based and emotion-based. I
3: sort of feel for quite a lot. There could actually be a huge relief in this, finally just being able to say things the way you feel, rather than continuing this facade that we all have. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. And, and the main reason why most people don't engage God in that manner is because they're afraid, or they're angry. Yeah. So, so they're afraid. So, like, I would say the majority of people who uh, have religious beliefs on Earth that involve an entity, God, are afraid yeah. um, the majority of them are afraid of being punished uh, potentially being punished doing the wrong thing uh, you know quite often i get emails from from you know both muslims and christians saying how god's going to punish me for claiming that i'm jesus and so forth and and this indicate this is an indication of how little they understand god because they're really just imposing you know their upbringing and also a lot of untrue beliefs upon what God would do, rather than feeling God. Because if they felt God, they'd realise that God doesn't punish anyone at all. Yeah. Right? Um, so, so, unfortunately, they they have, this, um, and they have this belief system about God that is inaccurate. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't create laws with consequences, because yep. God certainly does do that. And uh, we can see these in operation in a day-to-day life. But, but you can actually experiment with that too. You know, by asking God about God's laws, which so is something I do... we have really
3: got to century. become children again in this process rather than the, the adult mentality that
2: we have. Exactly, and that's exactly what I said in the first century. Unless you become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Mm. Right? But it sort of makes sense now. I've never really understood that person mm. before. Mm. 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 So, so if you look at how a child looks at things and communicates even, it very much communicates with feelings... And its thoughts are usually very much in harmony with its feelings. Yeah. And it's only as it grows that it learns to separate thoughts from feelings and and have disharmony between the two. And and this is how I realized that actually, after a while of experimenting, after this process of experimenting with this relationship with God, I realized actually that it was very interesting because... It was exactly the same type of communication that a little child, a baby, had. Yeah.
0: And
2: when I thought about the logical, how how logical that is, it's just supremely simple and logical. If you think about it, it's like I now have this beautiful simplicity that exactly the way a child communicates is the way I needed to continue to communicate.
3: Because we're all of the opinion we've got to be serious. Okay, I'm now going to talk to God as this serious interaction. (laughs) Yeah. Um, with just no feelings in you know. it. Yeah.
2: And then I started realizing, too, other things like, you know, the sign of an adult wasn't anything to do with thoughts being separate from feelings. The sign of an adult was a person who was self responsible. Mm. So I realised that a child is incapable of self responsibility, but over a period of time it grew to have self responsibility, and, beca- and that's how it becomes an adult. It didn't become an adult by acting differently in terms of its intellect. Which is, which is unfortunately the interpretation we have now. You know, most people say, well, you know, that person is too emotionally expressive. They're still a child. Yeah. Whereas I see a person who's emotionally expressive. I, the question I ask myself is, are they taking responsibility? Because if they're taking responsibility, then they're an adult. If they're not taking responsibility for their emotions and their feelings and their thoughts, then they're still a child.
1: Yeah feels like there's
0: quite a lot of children still around then, huh?
1: They're, yes,
2: like I've seen many 80-year-old <laughs> children yeah, yeah. Uh, in my day-to-day travels. Throwing a dummy yeah, spit. Yeah, having tantrums <laughs> and all sorts of things because they are yet to take personal yeah. responsibility for their feelings and thoughts, which is the same thing as a child does. So I'm not suggesting we become a child in the sense of not being able to take personal responsibility. I am suggesting that we need to learn how the child communicates and how we need to continue this form of communication and once we continue this form of communication with god we have the ability to learn directly from god god's nature and characteristics and attributes so if you think about it um, the other method was you and i have a discussion about (laughs) god and we don't involve god in the discussion and we're basically coming up with all these presumptions and assumptions about god uh, that, that we have no even idea a lot of the times how to experiment to even find out whether they're true yeah, or not. Totally some it. of them sound really good because we like them and sometimes we like them because of the damage that's happened to us. So, for example, I, I might come to like the idea that God's going to punish the wicked because every per- person that hits me, I want God to punish. Mm. Or so oh, God
3: loves me because <laughs> no one else loves me. Or, yeah, yeah.
2: So, so I come to understand some things about God that are actually very flawed or some things that might be true but I have no way of determining which ones are flawed and which ones are true, right? Yeah. And so this is what happens with most religion. And it happens with most religion even in the spirit world. After a person's passed, they still go through the same experimenting process. They still go through trying to determine what the truth is. They use, try to use their intellect in every possible way they can to determine what the truth is and, and are just as unsuccessful or successful as we are here on Earth. Mm. So you imagine you and I we're talking about God mm. and and and... And God's not even involved. Like he, he, He's over here saying, well, what about me? Like, uh, can I say what I'm like? You know, and, yeah. and we're going, no, no, we don't want to hear from you. We're just going to work we're gonna out. We're going to tell what you what you like, you're like. We're, we're clever enough to do this without even involving you, right, is what we say.
3: So there's a real arrogance, in a see. There right? is. Wow.
2: Yeah, terrible arrogance. Well, this is what we about. do,
1: like, this is what we do, not just with God. Like, as you were saying about observing your life and what's going on, this is what I do. With all sorts of people, yeah, you know, and it's it's quite good.
2: <laughs> Lovely crackling in the background of our fire. <laughs> <Yeah. bio. Yeah. laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's a, um, and the the, 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 the the problem that we have here on Earth a lot of times is that we are so arrogant to think that we don't even have to involve a third party yeah. before we know them. But, you know, let's say. And I have this happen to me all the time, where people discuss me on the internet and discuss what they think I'm like and rah rah rah, but they've never met me. That's a that's a height of arrogance, really, not having even met the person, and not have, having even had one interaction with a person, thinking that you actually know the person or know their feelings or and, seen how you live and, and know their thoughts and see you know know everything about them. Is, and and we do this with God all the time. Mm-hmm. We, we don't connect with God, most of us on the planet. We think we are, but we're not connecting with God. We're often connecting with spirits who think they're God or, or people or not connecting with God at all. We're just imagining what God is in a lot of ways. And it's the height of arrogance to think that we can sit down and imagine what God is without involving God in the process. So, so any, I, I feel for that reason, many atheists are far better off on the planet than many religious persons on the planet. And the reason why is many religious persons have this arrogance in them that they know God when in the reality is they have not communicated with God from an emotional... They have not received love from God. They don't know anything about God's nature or characteristics. They've only been told it by other people who also don't know. And and, and to actually then assume that you know, you're better off being an atheist who doesn't assume any of that at all mm-hmm. or an atheist who, who assumes that there is no God. What's the difference? So, so I feel a lot of times uh, what religion has done to man is, is just as damaging and sometimes far more damaging if you look at the history of wars and so forth on the planet, often far more damaging than what science has done to man. So um, the, the, the problem I see in the end is that unless we all consider that we, are all, we all have the personal capacity to connect to God
3: mm. and
2: unless we give up this idea that we can hear God Hear, yes. hear God with our ear and unless we give up the idea that we that that the thoughts that come into our mind are from God because they are not and we understand that God's method of communication with us is far more advanced mm. but far more simple than that
0: yeah.
2: then uh, unless we give up all of those concepts we're never really going to discover God's nature characteristics or attributes and, and this is one of the primary things I taught in the first century, um, that we had to begin to feel. And we needed to have some, and this is like feeling, it was a lot about what humility, like having the humility to go, okay, what are my feelings here? And also the humility to go, okay, I, I can't even really feel myself at the moment, so how am I ever going to feel anybody else or God if I can't even feel myself, you know?
3: Yeah, we don't like admitting to ourselves that we don't know, do we? And that's when we start this guessing game.
2: That's right. And and in fact, in our, in the power of our intellect, what we often do is we take this arrogant position that we should be able to work it out. Yeah. And and unfortunately, we do that with a lot of our relationships, not just our relationship with God, but a lot of our relationships here on Earth. We we believe we know the person that we have n- no knowledge of at all because we can't feel them.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's the same with God. We believe we know God when we have no knowledge of God at all because we can't feel God. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, it's very, very difficult for us then to know the truth about God if we can't feel God. And also, it makes sense that the a person who knows themselves and, and a being who knows themselves, now obviously God knows herself very well, and would would naturally be the best person to ask about themselves. Yeah. Now, a person who doesn't know themselves very well yeah. is not the best person to ask about themselves generally. Yeah. Right? But uh, if you think about God, obviously God would know herself very well, so therefore, She is the best person to communicate with to find out about herself. I know, as
3: you said herself a few times, and I'm sure that's going to be quite confusing to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Do
2: you want to just share a bit more about how God is? Well, I use uh, herself, Himself interchangeably, as I always have done, Um, and the reason why is because God has masculine traits and characteristics, and God has feminine traits and characteristics, and and but but I don't like calling God itself. Yeah. Does that make sense? Because it depersonalises what is, what is really the opposite that can occur, and that is a very, very personal relationship with God. So there are times when I feel God quite strongly as my mother. There are, quite, there are times when I feel God strongly as my father. Does that make sense? Yeah. And in the first century I used to call God, Mummy and Daddy. Um, that was my term for God. Um, Which often religious people were quite uh, confronted by and also offended about. So rather than calling in the first century, God uh, was assigned the tetragrammaton, which was a YHWH in our in the translation now, or a lot of people now would call it Yahweh or Jehovah. And um, you know, instead of calling God Yahweh or Jehovah. I usually referred to God as my father or my mother, mm. right? which, which, obviously, confronted many of the religious leaders of the day because because I was saying to them through this connection that I was God's son, uh, as are you, of course. But they didn't understand that. They believed what I was saying. Because I was saying that I was God's son, that I was equal to God, and and of course there are very many distortions of that. So
3: this is where the confusion about you being the son of God when it really should have been, we're all sons and daughters. We are all sons and daughters of God.
2: I I became a son of God in a unique sense, and and, and since many others have become the same through the process of becoming born again. The process of becoming born again is this process of receiving divine love to the point where you become at one with God in your nature. So from that moment on, you, you, you have the same feelings as God about other things, not to the same intensity, because God has it to an infinite intensity, and you can only have it to a, some finite level, but you have the same kinds of feelings as God has. And I called that condition at one moment with God, and I reached that condition when I was 31 years of age in the first century. And, but I taught these truths before then. You know, I started teaching these truths sort of around 25 years of age, And even before then, I taught them, you know, in a more informal way. But um, once you become at one with God, now you are permanently connected with God's feelings. So now, instead of, so up until that time, you have times when you're connected with God's feelings and then times when you're not connected with God's feelings. But after that time, you're connected with God's feelings all the time.
1: Wow, okay. There was a question we wanted to ask you of what it would feel like. And so basically it's engaging this process that you've been telling us about. Yeah. That, that's the only way we're really going to know it because there's a lot of people striving to be at one with God. But we were going, well, what does that mean? Like, yes. a, and
2: the, only time, you, the problem with all, any, any discussion about God, and in fact the problem with almost any discussion about anything in the universe that involves feelings, <laughs> it, is that unless you feel the feeling, you will never know.
0: Yeah. And personally. Uh, personally.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's a bit like me saying, look, um, you know that wall there? The truth is that at some point in your future, you can walk through it. And you can go, oh, yeah, sure. You know, like, And say so you try to walk through it now and you hit your head against the uh, thing. And, of course, if you ran into it, you might very seriously damage it. And, and then you'd go, well, that's not possible. Because mm-hmm. you, know, cause you yeah. have that feeling that it's not possible sure. inside yourself. But later in your life, when you realize that it is possible and you experiment with that a bit and you have a few mistakes where it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and at some point you'll actually do it wow. when you actually do it that will be the first time that you know it's possible ah. before then it's just faith before then it's yeah. just an idea a concept of possibility right. but once you actually do it then you know it is possible
0: yes.
2: and it's exactly the same in our feeling based relationship with God you're not, you can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and intellectualize it, whether it's possible or not. And even you can come up with all these theories as to why it's not possible and all these theories as to how it is possible. And you can discuss those theories till you're blue in the face a thousand years' time. Yep. Right? And in yeah. fact, there are many people who have passed over into the spirit world who are in the sixth dimension of the spirit world still discussing those things 10,000 years' time.
0: Wow
2: who 10,000 years ago they entered and they're still discussing whether that God exists and whether you can have a relationship with God really and all these things, they're still still discussing exactly those things.
1: That's quite tiring.
2: But because they have never personally experienced it, they they can't know know for certain. Once you personally experience it, you immediately know for certain. And once you experience the at-one-ment condition with God, then you'll know for certain at that point that the abundant condition with God is possible. You so, won't know before yeah. then.
1: So until then, it's just having that faith that, okay, and and obviously listening to some of the teachings that, well, the teachings that you're giving the world and also, well, I suppose other... I but know. can
2: you see you don't even have to have faith in what I'm saying? No. There's only I'm one thing explore. you really have to have faith in, in and that yeah. is that God provided a method of communicating right. and expressing herself to you. Okay. And God provided a method where you could communicate and express yourself to God. And you only have to have faith in that. You don't okay. have to have faith in anything else. You don't have to have faith in a man. You don't have to have faith in a, uh, anything more than that process. It's pretty simple. That there's a simple method. If you can learn to have faith or trust that this method exists, mm-hmm. then you can experiment. And you, Initially, you don't even have to have faith mm-hmm. that it exists. You can just experiment with the possibility mm-hmm. of its existence. Yeah. Right. And that's what I call the greatest experiment. The greatest experiment is the experiment of the possibility of this personal connection and then relationship with God.
3: So when we start yeah. out these experiments, is is what often happens is that we don't have the humility to see what's really going on. So we do an experiment and say, Well, we've
2: done work. experiments like from wall. now on. Is it well, yeah, the problem we have with God in our experiments is we're often very arrogant. So yeah. what what we do is we design an experiment with the belief that it's going to work, when it doesn't work, we go, it must be God's fault.
3: Mm. (laughs) Well, God God doesn't exist. (laughs) Does that make sense?
2: Rather than going, well, no, of all the possible experiments that I could have created, I could have created millions of them, this particular one doesn't work. And try something out. In the state that I'm now in. (laughs) In the state I'm now in. And, and, And so, you know, we need to start having a lot more humility even with our experiments. And this applies scientifically as well we need to have a lot more humility with our scientific experiments because the reality is that unless we have more humility we're not going to look at the possibilities that, that, that are much broader than what we currently accept them. So,
3: so do most of us do the scientific experiments because we're wanting to feel clever and we're wanting to use our brain? Is, is that one of the overall objectives when
2: we're often doing scientific? The human race usually goes through two, down one of two different paths. One is they choose something that they, they know yep. to create experiments based on because, because everybody feels comfortable with that. So it's to, do, it's to do with fear actually. They don't want to create something they don't know to experiment with because they, then they'll feel confused and they'll feel w- less worth and so forth. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to have those feelings and so they usually create things based on what they already have established or what, that they know. Yep. The alternative is that uh, mankind generally takes this other attack sometimes, and that is this uh, this track of um, assuming that they can't know anything. Okay, yeah. Yep. Do you, you understand? Like, So if I go into the assumption or the presumption that I cannot know anything ever, then what's the point of making any experiment? Why well, start the experiment in the first well, place? Why even start <laughs> in the first place? So that gives me a good no. excuse to not do anything. Yeah. do you understand yeah. Yeah. and so we often either do one or the other we we either presume that we know certain things and then base our experiments on what we presume we know or we presume we cannot know anything and therefore what's the point of doing any experiment and and we don't act at all so what a lot of times people have done with god is they've presumed they know god you know and presumed that you know, God is a god of punishment, a god of rage, a god of anger, a god of you know, as the Bible often says, and but also other holy books. They presume that, and they base all their experiments on that, and all their teachings on that as well. Or they go down the track. You know, it's impossible to know God at all, mm-hmm. so there's no point in even trying. Yeah, <clears throat> and they give up. What we need to have is a lot more humility than that, even. We need to understand that uh, just the basic principle that if there is a God that exists, then it would make sense that God created a very simple method to communicate with her children. And, and we have the ability to communicate also with God. Yeah. And all we've got to do is discover the method. And, and that method, what it, once, we apply, we, once we discover a potential method, we can experiment with it. Now, over, over many hundreds of thousands now of years of human history... Man has invented many experiments to communicate with God. Yep. The only one that worked was the one that I invented in 2,000 years ago. And when I say that's the only one that worked, I'm not saying that it was anything to do with my experiment. No. It's just I was lucky enough to, try, to come across a method mm. that, uh, that I could experiment with and discover, and through this process learn about God. And, and there are now many people in the heavens of the spirit world have used exactly the same method and have found exactly the same results as with any experiment that's truthful in other words that any experiment that can be proven to be truth you can repeat it yeah in other words you can another person can do the same experiment and get the same results and and regardless of where you are regardless of where you are in the universe or where you are on, on the planet you will get the same results with the same experiment.
3: That sort of comes into our next question, and it was, what role does the spirit world play in this relationship with God? When we're growing our relationship with God, how, how can we either engage, or how do we often engage with the spirit world in the, in the loving interactions and obviously
2: also in the negative interactions? Well, theoretically, the spirit world doesn't have to play any part in our relationship mm. with God. So theoretically, as I've just explained, the relationship with God is just between you, God's child, and God. And as long as you know how to communicate, which is very simple, just feel your feelings towards God... (laughs) And how you, how you communicate from God, get communications from God, is to feel the feelings that come back in return.
3: But it seems we all get very influenced often when we start these experiments or we're just starting to open up and then we might start getting into some grief and then it gets shut down very quickly. And it's like, what, what are, what's the interactions that we're allowing ourselves to be
2: influenced by that's often happening? Things only get shut down when we resist. So, 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 for example, if we start experiencing some grief, which is about getting to know what's in ourselves, and if I had an openness to experiencing that grief, I could not get shut down. Mm. The only reason why I could get shut down by some external person well, is by them influencing me in some way along a line that I believe I should go. So, because yeah, so we're wanting
3: an ex, we're wanting an exit, exit
2: door, we want a door. So, so when I start crying because yeah. I'm overwhelmed by my own sadness, I'm now looking for somebody to come along and <laughs> this is too much. Help me get away from it. Yeah. And of course, if that person that if that person is a person who's around me on earth, then that person will come. By, oh, don't you don't need to feel that sad. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's okay. Because that's what I want them to do. Yeah. So, of course, they're going to do that. That's what yeah. I want them to do. And unless they are very, very spiritually developed, they will—they will—they will actually do that. They will—they will calm down my emotion. The same applies to spirits. Mm. So there are many spirits around us who—who um, who are not developed, just like they were not developed when they left Earth. Mm. Uh, they are now just in an invisible form, in a different dimensional form, and—and and they have exactly the same emotional conditions generally as when they left Earth. And so, mm. so they decide. When somebody's having a big cry, and they, the, then the feeling coming from that person is, help me get away from too this sadness, much, too it's emotions. too much, it's too much, they go up and give them a big hug, and you yeah. know, the person doesn't see them, yeah. but they can feel them, and of course the person then stops crying, and, and therefore does not feel their emotions. So in the end, it is all driven by our own desire. So
3: it's telling us a lot about ourselves when we're going through this experiment process of what's of really coming
2: out of us when we're not even aware of what's coming out of, of us. Of course. So if there's sadness in me and I don't cry, then obviously I have different belief systems and fears about my sadness that I need to address. You know, And, and on the earth today, there are so many belief systems about sadness. You know, I just heard of someone recently where he was crying in his own house and the police knocked on his door and asked him to go, be quiet. He was Why? crying in his own house. And then he said, oh, I'm just crying about how my mother's treated me. And the policeman said to him, um, if that's what you're doing, you should go and get help. Like, he was—he didn't need any help. He was crying. <laughs> the exact emotion he needed to feel about how his mother treated him and he was releasing it. But the policeman was saying to him that he had to go and get some kind of psychological help because of... Crying. How
3: uncomfortable it makes all of us feel
2: when exactly. someone is opening it's up. It's all about the discomfort of others, and so we've learned on the planet to to massage emotion, to to push emotion around, and to prevent ourselves from truly feeling the emotion. And in fact, it's an acceptable, it's accepted even in in medical circles to try and suppress emotion when it becomes too powerful. And so, I'm not suggesting that all emotion is. All emotion is beneficial because there are a lot of emotions that are manufactured by a person for all sorts of reasons. It's a bit, it's a bit like your child when it, when you walk through the candy aisle, you know, the the, the <laughs> chocolate aisle in the supermarket, it starts manufacturing an emotion. Like it wants the chocolate, you're not going to buy it, and so it has a big tantrum. That's a manufacturer of an emotion. That's not a real emotion. The real emotion would be just it would just have a cry that he didn't get what he wanted or whatever. And, and even that's not a loving emotion because he'd be he'd be okay with not getting what he wanted if he was really in a state of love, but but you know so I'm not suggesting that all emotions we experience are actually that are are real in the mm-hmm. sense that the true basic causal emotion, but um, you know to prevent a person's emotion is not a, a great way of actually finding out the truth about anything either yeah
3: and this is what we do with our children from such a young age yeah, as soon do. as they actually do
2: open up to anything we squash it we do it with everyone around us yeah, but we do. really don't even ourselves we, yeah. we if we do it with ourselves we're definitely going to do it without our children and so so getting back to the question in terms of the spirit influence spirits can only influence us people in the spirit world can only influence they're just people yep. they can only influence us in the yes. same manner that any person on earth can influence us and that is that we have to be open to the influence. So if we're crying and then all of a sudden we're shut down by a spirit who's, who's telling us to shut up or, or giving us a hug or whatever to get us to quiet down, that's because we wanted it. And we've got to examine what we want. Uh, why do we want that? Because we're afraid. Why am I afraid? And I've got to look at some of my belief systems. There are also, of course, spirits who want what's best for us, even if we don't know what that is. Yeah. And and those yeah. ones try to help us the opposite direction but, but often um, we have very very strong addictions uh, emotional addictions and so we go for the one that supports our addiction far, makes f- it the easiest faster than we go for the one that doesn't you know? yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. and so that's the main limitation with spirits in terms of their involvement in terms of our discovery of God spirits can also help us with that in terms of discovering God's nature attributes and qualities However, if we can, we can validate that through our own connection with God, it's a bit like you and I are discussing God. Yeah. That's fine. Let's discuss God if we're going to discuss God. But don't trust everything that's being discussed. I need to go and find out for myself. You need to go and find out for yourself whether that is what God's nature really is in the long run. Mm. So if I'm telling you God's nature is not punishing at all, and in the long run you find out God's nature is punishing... It's obviously going to have a big effect on your life in <laughs> way, right? But, but you need to find out through your own relationship with God, um, not not trust. If I'm saying God's definitely punishing you, be careful, Peter. God's punishing you. Know you're going to be careful what you're doing here. You know you're going to get punished if you do this. And, and all of my fears coming out, and on the receiving end of that, you go, "Wow, this man seems to be in a lot of fear about God. I wonder if God's like that." Does that, yeah? You know, and then I can communicate with God. Are oh, you like that? What's the feeling you get from God? Like, is God like that when you connect with God? No, God's totally the opposite of that. In fact, all I feel from God is this loving, peaceful, kind energy that's patient and understanding all the time and compassionate. And so when somebody comes to me and says, uh, God's going to punish you, I go, sorry, mate. doesn't matter what I'm doing. God's not going to punish me, mm. particularly what I'm doing right now because I can feel God's peaceful Loving nature, right, as we're speaking. <laughs> mm.
0: Mm.
2: So, and all I can say to the person is, I'm sorry, but you have a big misunderstanding about the true characteristics of God.
1: Mm. Do you feel God now all the time again, like in this life?
2: Uh, not all the time, no. It's impossible to feel God all the time uh, unless, unless you have felt all of your own emotions all the time. Right. And I'm not doing that either. So so right at the moment, my my biggest problems are that I'm still going through emotions surrounding my personal uh, feelings about myself that I'm having to correct and uh, am correct by experiencing them. And as I feel them, then I feel God again. If I block <coughs> them, then I don't feel God. And that's the way it's going to be until I feel everything yeah. and and until I can feel God all the time again. So, And that's the same for every person on the planet. So you, you can't go through any other process. And, and after a while, after you experiment with that process, you'll find that's true. And then you can ex- once you experiment with it, you realize, ah, oh, there's times when I'm completely blocked from God. And then you realize at the same time, well, wow, they also seem to be the times when I'm completely blocked from myself as well, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling that that's the same with people. Like, sometimes you're really open... Well, I'm really open to people, and sometimes I'm not. Yes. Which would... There's just so many similarities, hey? I mean, obviously, there's just a reflection. That's why in the first
2: century, I experimented with the relationship with people, because it taught me a lot about my relationship with God as well. Which is great. what, What was possible. I presumed... I made some presumptions in the first century, or assumptions in the first century. One of the assumptions I made was that if a God did exist, that that God would be far better than any person on earth in terms of the love that came from that God. So I made that assumption because I felt that that God must know far more than any person on earth and therefore must know more about emotion than far more than any person on earth and also would be permanently loving far more than anybody on earth. Mm. And I realized that, with some persons I interacted with on Earth, they were just a pleasure to be around because there was just so much love coming from them, other people were just terrible to interact with on earth because there was just so much nasty hatred yeah. rage anger, fear coming from them and I realized that you know, we I had to had to assume that if a God existed that that God had to be better than any person on earth
0: yeah.
2: <clears throat> yeah. and i 'm glad I made that. Assum- assumption yeah. because uh, as I've, as I've connected with God more and more, I realized that God has exceeded that assumption
0: Even
2: more. F- it, to an infinite degree um, that that first assumption that I'd made that God must be more loving than anybody earth, I started realizing you know through this relationship that God is actually more loving than any other being that i've ever met mm-hmm. um, and infinitely so more loving than any other being I've ever met.
1: So, uh, <coughs> do you know who made God or how God even came into being?
2: No. Yeah. It's a question I've asked God, but it, I also understand why I'm struggling to find the answer to the question. Because if you think logically, um, it's very difficult for a creation to understand its creator. Mm. For, for example, you know, um, you know, you have these, motorcycles here right the trikes that or the the quad bikes that you use to get around the farm and the person who knows that creation the best is the person who designed it and created it yes and now for me to understand god completely would be like that bike understanding who made it right okay does yep. that make sense? Yeah. Which obviously, the bike has no, not much intelligence itself, so therefore it's an impossibility. But God's given me some intelligence, but even with some intelligence, um, my, my my intelligence is very limited yep. in comparison to the intelligence that God obviously possesses. Yep. And so, so therefore, understanding the complexities of God it's is going to be quite a long process and a challenging process. And what I started realising is the only way I'm ever going to get some of those questions answered is just by connecting to God more. Right, Yeah. Because when I connect to God more, I have the ability to hear from God more. yeah. And therefore, to, when I ask questions about God herself, I can feel the answers about, from God herself yeah. and therefore understand more about God. But there are some questions in, in my 2,000 years of, of doing that. That I still don't know the answer of. Yeah. And that's one of them. Where does God come from? Who created God? If anybody did, I don't even know. I, I don't yeah. I suspect not, but I don't know how that's possible. Yeah. And and intellectually I can't understand how that's possible.
1: Yeah, neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> even listen Yeah. So so all I do
2: is I go, okay, there's certain things that I know for yep. certain at this point. And there's other things that are yet to be resolved and i and i actually now know through my relationship with god that god has a desire to teach me everything wow and and the only thing that limits my understanding is my ability to absorb everything do you understand yeah i well yeah
1: I don't understand you know I understand that feeling of the limited like limited ability to actually get things yeah yeah
2: if I could uh, liken it as an illustration when you went to school as a child like when you were five years of age and you first went to school you obviously had a very limited ability to understand certain things yeah so you know the school teacher might have started teaching you the alphabet for example or numbers you know from 1 to 10 and then 1 to 100 and so forth and they they had a basis then of which to teach you other things and then when you by the time you got into high school you could you could actually learn complex more complex things things that are related to language you actually could actually start learning a completely different language even mm-hmm. by that stage and, and the child is obviously capaci- has the capacity to do that much sooner in life but often it doesn't and you learnt the language of mathematics as well yeah. in this process and the language of science and, and, and chemistry and other things. But if you had tried to learn those things that you learnt in high school when you were five years of age and didn't even know the alphabet, mm-hmm. can you see it would have been pretty difficult, if not impossible. Yeah. And that's how I see my relationship with God. God, God's teaching me a series of things right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And those series of things that I'm being taught right now give me the ability to understand things that he will teach me in the future.
0: Okay, yeah.
2: And I can't expect to know everything yeah. right now yeah. because it's illogical. In my own life you know, and in your life and in everybody's life on earth historically, we know for certain we cannot learn everything instantly yeah right. no i want to we want but to we often want to, but even then uh, when you think it. about it logically we often don't even want to no that's very... we we have huge amounts of impediments towards actually learning things rapidly and we often don't want to learn new things for lots of reasons and yeah. um, a lot of times we even come across the emotions that we have like i'm not capable of learning that thing yet yeah and we even have to deal with that emotionally But the reality is that learning, the learning process about any subject is a gradual thing. Mm. The key is whether you can speed it up or not. Yeah. And what I found through my relationship with God is that if I learnt about God first, then I automatically received answers about lots of other things. Okay. And I had the capacity to understand them. Because understanding them had to be, everything had to be understood with some basic framework that God was teaching me. So the problem that I see on earth now a lot with regard to learning is that mankind is trying to learn things intellectually all the time, but they don't understand that the framework of learning is about emotions and feelings, and particularly about one emotion, and that is the feeling of love. And once you feel love, and in fact feel God's love, You now have the capacity to learn many things because almost everything god has made or everything god has made is based on love so you now have the capacity to absorb a lot of things that you couldn't absorb before
3: is this also why most of us are so detached from our passions and desires and what our real true self desires to do
2: in what way well
3: you see a lot of us sort of not exactly happy or excited about waking up each morning and, you know, what we're actually doing with ourselves. Like, we sort of often feel, and you see around you, people find it, you know, don't have any... a real excitement of why we're actually here.
2: Yep, and how does that relate to the question? Uh, Just
3: this um, opening up. So we're disconnected from our true passions and desires because we're not allowing ourselves to feel...
2: Yes. Obviously, the problem with, uh, that we have quite strongly here on the, on the planet is that we've learned, through, through being taught by our environment, we've learned that the intellect is supreme. Mm. It's incorrect, of course, <clears throat> uh, because actually our emotions and feelings have far more capacity to understand many things that the intellect is totally incapable of understanding by itself. But, but we believe the intellect is supreme, so what we've done is we've, we've suppressed a lot of our true desires, our emotions and our feelings. We don't understand a lot of times why we do different things. And this is why uh, psychologists and psychoanalysts have come up with the terms like uh, subconscious to mm-hmm. explain things. I don't believe there is such a thing as the subconscious. I, I believe all there is is the suppressed consciousness in the sense yeah. that in the sense that the suppressed consciousness, which is our emotional feelings, our, our true feelings and desires and passions, have been heavily suppressed through this intellectual training program that we've all been subjected to mm. on the planet. And and this intellectual training program has caused us to heavily suppress our desires, passions and emotions. So, so we now have the incapacity to understand many things that God created for us to Mm -hmm. have the capacity to understand but without feeling we can't understand so so now what we finish Mm -hmm. up doing is we finish up trying to intellectually understand a whole series of things going on when if we had the linkage with love and we had the linkage with our emotions and our passions and desires and everything we would almost naturally understand it Mm -hmm. at a much much and we'd start
3: discovering god so much more quickly Mm -hmm. in that process exactly
2: rather than believing that god doesn't exist or believing that god's a punishing god or believing false things about god uh, we now have a bit more accuracy about God, and and God's not punishing. So God's willing for us to believe that there's mm-hmm. no God, if that's what we want to do. Experiment with that for a while and see how that goes, you know. And God's willing for us to do these experiments. However, obviously, if we have a degree of humility, um, we would probably want to connect with God directly. And. And therefore, we have then the capacity to learn about the rest of the universe in the most rapid way. And the reason why that is, is because God created the universe. So it makes sense that if you connect with the designer and creator of the universe, and you connect with them in the only way that God is designed to communicate with you, then God can communicate with you how the universe works. And so what I've discovered, like what I discovered in the first century Took, some things took me months to discover that had never been discovered by any person with their intellect up until that point in time. And the only reason why it only t- took me months to discover it is that I accepted God's way of communicating with me rather than trying to invent my own way of communicating with God. <laughs> see, <laughs> see mankind in his arrogance, he, he invents ways to communicate with God and then wonders why God isn't listening <laughs> and also wonders why he can't hear God.
1: Yeah. It makes sense, hey. Yeah. Um, on the so with children, mm-hmm. the same process applies. Now, if you're a parent who has many injuries, mm-hmm. and obviously um, suppressions of your children, almost you know, like as we find them way out, um, how do we encourage this in children? Because they could get there way faster than I could. They so could. do I, I? Don't like just like just by talking to them about it like i mean
2: the fastest way to encourage your child to grow is by you getting out of the way
1: yeah
2: but i don't mean by that that you don't have any role what i mean is that emotionally you have to get a you have to get your emotional impediments out of their way so for example if you have a fear of spiders yes and the child wants to learn about spiders
1: allow them to learn about spiders and with someone who's not afraid of And
2: get of your fear of spiders out of the way. Okay,
1: so I've got to feel my fear You've of spiders. You've got to
2: feel your fear of spiders. And work <laughs> you through don't the get out of that easy. Of and get that fear of spiders out of the way. So right, okay. So your child is now capable of going through this process of discovery without your fear being involved. So this is where okay.
3: observation is so critical in this and self-reflection is yes. so critical in this
2: yes as well so so the unfortunate thing that happens for most children is the parents don't get their unhealed emotions out of the way what yeah. the parents do is they impose their unhealed emotions upon the child so so in the example i just gave about the spider most parents who are afraid of poisonous spiders mm-hmm. when the child picks up a poisonous spider and holds it in the hand most parents would Get the yeah. cheek, you know spider yeah. off, kill the spider, yeah. jump and d- up and down on the spider <laughs> off and you know just smashed into the ground. And <laughs> and then yell at the child in their fear, you know, yeah. what, did you child, that, what, what did you do? There? You know, what, what's going on? And in that moment the child's <laughs> the parents' emotions now are imposed upon the learning ability of the child. So now the child is going to be very opposed to learning anything about spiders yeah. for a lot of reasons, or very rebellious. They'll either go in one of those two directions, they'll they'll uh. They'll respond completely to the parent's demand or rebel completely against the parent's demand. Right. Does that make sense? sense? Either one. But they won't be open emotionally to the process of discovery if they go down either of those. So if you're
3: completely open as a parent, your child's automatically going to find out about God in that
2: process. And automatically going to discover the universe as well without your emotional impediments affecting the child. So the reality is a parent can have injury, emotional injury, and still not prevent the child from okay. learning awesome. but unfortunately most parents impose their emotional injuries upon their child so we do this in all forms of belief systems so so we do it with our belief in nature so you know some of the things in nature we're afraid of mm-hmm. some of the things in nature we accept so we impose those feelings upon our children and so they then automatically Reject generally the things that we reject, and accept the things we re- we accept. We impose our scientific beliefs upon our children, right? right? So, for example, uh, today it's un- unusual for a person to accept their child experimenting with science, right? Because the, the, often the parents are frightened of that process or challenged intellectually by the fact that the child looks like they're becoming far more clever than the parent is, right? <laughs> and, and so what, what, the chi- what the parent does is impose limitations upon the child's ability to discover. So it's our fear so it's that's to become... wanting to control the process. Yeah. And so what we do is the child might want to discover things like longitudinal electronic mag- electromagnetic transmission of waveforms or something like that, something which is not very common on earth currently it was discovered a hundred years ago or so, but on the earth today it hasn't been experimented with much at all. And 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 we're totally like as a parent conflicted by yeah. that because it goes, well, I know nothing about that subject. <laughs> like yeah. how I can't help my child at all. And and so we impose our own fears about how good we are and you know, how clever we are upon our child. Or we're afraid that the fact if we if a person if a child experiments with those things he can potentially be subject to high voltages and currents which could potentially kill him <laughs> yeah. and so what we do is we, we we are afraid of his death now and yeah. so we place a heap of limitations of our fear on the child and their experiments and so forth so there's science gone so then we we start looking at areas of chemistry of physics and mathematics and all these other areas and we've got all of these limitations inside of us as parents in every one of these areas yeah. And we impose these limitations upon the child. So the child now has emotional linkages between learning and the ability to absorb information in a certain Mm. direction. Whenever the parent has fear or withdraws their love from the child, Mm. the child now has an emotional connection between that form of experimentation and withdrawal of love Mm. or fear being projected by the parent whenever the parent is in a rage with the child because of something the child did it experimented with you know it might have experimented with you know some chemicals and blew up the kitchen you know like and uh, and the parent of course has a lot of issues about that ranging from money to fix it right the way through to the potential loss of life or limbs and uh, and fears about all of those things and so of course and so, of course, the parents might be in a rage and anger. Now the child's associated their rage and anger with these, these yeah. forms of experimentation and, and therefore is far more limited in its capacity to understand.
3: So is this where as children we either rebel against that or mm. we go into our shell, like we sort of take one or
2: two? We rebel or accept, generally. Mm. Um, and, uh, and when we accept, we become very similar to our parents in a lot of ways. When we rebel, we become the opposite, but it's driven by rage. Yeah. Mm. Not, not by love or any other more, more uh, peaceful emotion.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm. So the whole concept, if we're going to love our children, it's simply feeling our emotions and being honouring what we're actually feeling. If we just even did that, we're allowing our children to discover the true selves.
2: Yeah, like if we, if we are, if we notice when we are in their way, because as parents yeah. we often get in their way. Yeah. now i 'm not saying that they don 't need guidelines because God created laws and and all children need to begin to understand the laws that God created and In fact, one of our roles as a parent is to help our children discover the laws of God and, and one of those laws is a law of love so, so so you know if a child's punching us and kicking us, then we 've got to provide some kind of correction to that. Now there are loving ways that we can correct that or unloving ways we can correct that most of the time mankind reverts to the unloving ways and not the loving ways there are simple loving ways that can correct those forms of behaviour and we can teach them law but we need to get out of the way with regard to our fears our rage and all the other things mm. that we put in the way uh, that, that our children then have an emotional impediment to learning and they also have an emotional impediment then with God because they, oh, they right. impose to see so for the child when it's young yeah. that it's God is it's parents
0: yeah Yep.
2: So we have a, we have a large degree of responsibility as parents to to stop seeing ourselves as the child's owner mm. And, and, mm. and and help the child understand that we are not its owner but we can be its teacher if we allow the child to develop and demonstrate through our conduct the issues of love and free will and other issues that allow the child to develop, in a very seamless manner towards God. Once, once we get out of the way, even with regard to the idea or concept that we are the child's parent, mm. Mm. we will actually accept the concept that God is the child's parent and we are just the child's custodian until such a time as the child can recognize its own parent.
0: Mm.
2: And so once we get into that condition as a parent, we will be very, very much concerned about whether we are interfering in the relationship between the child and God. At the moment, parents are not very concerned about that. They are often, even if they're religious, they are often very much interfering in the relationship between the child and God. And they actually put a lot of emotional impediments upon the child about their relationship with God. So we need to stop, as parents, to having this arrogance that we are the child's parents. We can tell you about God. We can tell you what to do. We can tell you when to do it, how to do it, what to do it, and all this kind of stuff. All we need to do as parents is teach the child God's laws. When the child has an understanding of God's laws, Mm. and and to do that we have to have learned them ourselves, of course, But when the child has an understanding of God's laws, now it has the capacity to connect to God directly and it doesn't need us anymore, in fact. Hmm. And this is
3: what we're all terrified of, being left alone and suddenly no one loves us.
2: Exactly. Most, a lot of parents have children just for the sake of them, their own emotional, uh, of wanting someone to want them, wanting someone to need them. And so they love their children being dependent upon them. Oh, yeah. It's such yeah. a terrible... We need g- them to be dependent Yeah, on. we need them to be dependent upon us so that we have some role. And and this is also an emotional impediment upon the child's learning, the child's self-expression, the child's ability to grow, the child's ability to understand God, the child's ability to understand the universe. Because what it's going to start doing is it's going to stop experimenting with the universe and it's only going to connect with its parents. It's only going to connect with what its parents allows it to do with the universe.
3: So the the two-year-old tantrum and all that, that's when the child's starting to get all this frustration building up in them about what's happening
2: with... Well, as you've learned in your own relationship with the children, the two-year-old tantrum comes from many sources. Yeah, uh, yeah. It comes. It starts with some parents' denial of emotion. There's often some spirit influence in the tantrum. There's also some, often some unloving behaviour that's already started to develop in the child. Yeah. The key for the parent is to teach the child God's laws. And so whenever there's unloving behaviour, God has au- automatically an imposition upon the soul that the soul gets correction mm. so what we need to do is give the child correction so the fastest way to correct a tantrum is to is to hold the child yeah. and let it have the tantrum it will scream and scream and scream you've got to keep holding it and keep holding it and keep holding it and restricting it from doing any damage and just let it have its tantrum let it have its tantrum and eventually it will get into its grief an experience.
3: The so spirit. the beginning of the tantrum—that's just yeah. all these anger the coming,
2: the rage coming the out, the rage, and some spirit influence often yeah. as well. With with children in the spirit world who are also in rages, uh, trying to express themselves through the child. You just keep holding the child, keep holding the child, reminding the child. You know, the fact is they're doing something unloving, and so they have to be restricted. Yeah. And so you just keep holding the child, holding the child allow the restriction to occur until the child gets into its grief and then after that the child won't be you know, kicking or screaming you can pick the child up and hug it just while it feels its emotions of grief and the child finishes its emotions of grief they'll give you a hug and they'll run off playing yep. they're all <laughs> forgotten about <laughs> it you Imagine. haven't had to smack them, you haven't had to punish them in any way yeah. but you have corrected their unloving behaviour yeah. and if they do it again you do crap hold of them again yeah. but yeah. this time the, it'll be much shorter because they'll realise they can get into their grief much sooner and they'll be less influenced by external factors. And eventually, when they'll get to the point where they're not getting something they want and instead of having a tantrum, they just go straight into their grief. And eventually, once all that grief is released, they'll not get what they want and they'll be okay. (laughs) They'll be happy with it.
3: So what's the, the connection? We have a desire, and if it's often a pure desire, then you you see so quickly it's sort of literally there. How does this connect with God in the process, like when we, we're having this pure oh, yeah. desire, and then suddenly our law of attraction or whatever it is changes that suddenly there's this beautiful
2: change that happens? Um, can we talk about that after a break? Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, um, we were wondering about um, the way some of the ways that you have and do practically connect with God in this system. Um, maybe that um, would be beneficial for us who would like to form more a relationship with God yeah, yeah. Um, and what to do and, yeah. like, real things.
2: Well, as you can see from our previous discussion, yeah. that firstly, there is a need for us to know our own emotional self. Yeah. So we need to know our own desires, know our own passions, know our own longings, know what we want out of life, what what uh, we're passionate about, and also know how we feel in a negative way too. Like what, um, what circumstances and situations make us feel sad, angry, fearful, and so forth. Knowing yourself is an essential part of your communication with God, because you can't really communicate with God about yourself or or without knowing yourself. And you can't really receive communication from God without being able to feel yourself. Uh, if you can't feel yourself, then then you can't feel God's feelings for you either. In fact, you can't feel anybody's feelings for you generally if you don't feel yourself. So,
3: so when you wake up in the morning, is that the first thing you do? Is like just get connected with what's going on for yourself?
2: Yeah, basically, Peter. My, if you could say what my day-to-day interaction is, and I, I basically focus all the way through the day on a number of different experiments, if you like. Yeah. <laughs> and my, every day is an experiment for me. So, so the, the very first moment I, I awake, uh, generally, I firstly connect with my feelings upon awaking. Now, if I can't connect with my feelings upon awaking, the first thing that I will do generally is drink one to two litres of water immediately. Yeah. Right? And then I over a period
3: like that's quite a lot
2: of water to the yeah, average person. I guzzle it down
3: yeah. uh, over a period of
2: about two minutes. Well, so, well, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, two, so two, usually one to two litres of water goes into my body immediately. And what's the role of that? Well, water has this beautiful effect. One thing I learned very early in the first century was that water has this beautiful effect on your body of being able to connect. Everything emotionally to a far greater degree. Water, water is like a transmission medium for your emotions, yeah. and so and so the more you drink, generally the more connected to your emotions you will become. And so so normally I drink from four to six liters of water a day, yeah. and and usually two of those liters go down within the first hour of waking. Um, and that uh, I then generally try to just lay there generally experiencing what I feel what what are my feelings upon awaking and sometimes I'll be fear-based sometimes I will have had experiences in the sleep state that uh, you know that I remember and sometimes I'll have feelings about the day that that come up during that process so immediately I'm starting to get connected to my own feelings that's the primary thing if you can't connect to your own feelings and get into your own body, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to connect to anybody else's feelings, including God's feelings for you. Right. So that, that's the first thing I generally do. And I try to stay in that connected state all through the day. Everything I choose to do in the day keeps me connected to my feelings. So it's rare for me to choose to do something that gets me away from my feelings mm-hmm. anymore.
3: So that's where often food is an avoidance of our feelings very early on in the morning. The cup of coffee, or cup of whatever.
2: coffee, yeah. sometimes a cigarette for some people. A cup of coffee, yeah. a big plate of cereal yeah. uh, is a great way of disconnecting from the fear, in particular. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people go for a warm breakfast as well. That helps us yeah. stay away from our fears. Um, and, and there's a lot of things we do immediately, generally that uh, within a many of us get up immediately and go straight to the hot shower. Uh, as a way of avoiding what we feel. Um, so there's all sorts of things that we do to, to avoid feelings. What I try to do is everything I try to do, I stay connected with what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, it's rare for me now to do anything. Um, if I can't feel, I always stop. And, so and
3: regardless feel. of what you're sort of doing in the day, when your sort of first meal, so to speak?
2: Well, um, I usually drink two to three litres of water first in the day, yeah. and then the first meal that myself and Mary has is usually a meal of fruit, yeah. or as a, a, a fruit smoothie mixed with greens of some yeah. kind. So, so uh, it's quite nice. We, as you've had a taste of yeah. one, so yeah. um, you know, quite a large mixture of fruit with uh, with greens. Uh, it's a nice, very nice drink. And we'll probably usually have that around ten a.m. in the morning or eleven a.m. in the morning, around that time. Usually ten about ten a.m. Bearing in mind that I normally wake up with day with the daylight. If it's particularly if it's uh, um, you know where, we, where we're where we're home, yeah. um, so so we might wake up at daylight. And daylight might be five thirty or something like that. Usually by the time we get to eating our meal, we've usually had two or three liters of water. Yeah. By that time, yeah. And normally, done a little bit of other things, you know, like we might go for a walk or do a bit of work or whatever as well um, before before we. Eat. Is there
3: any particular fruits that you try and avoid, or is it just whatever you've got?
2: Whatever we have got available. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times we'll eat it, or we we'll mix it up in a blender. And, and what we find is that uh, that then satisfies us until about three thirty or four pm in the afternoon. And myself and Mary only twice a day yeah. um, and that's
3: so that's your real meal of the day that you
2: when you say, say our real meal our real meal of the day generally is just live food raw yeah. food um, so we don't generally cook it or process it so um, so we might make a salad or, you know, have a mixture of nuts with a salad or something. So else.
3: many of us spend the whole day snacking in that too. So for yourselves, you, there's very little
2: that you'll have between those two meals as well. If there's something that's tasty around, like <laughs> in the garden or something, then yep. certainly I'll eat it. Um, but but um, you find that the more and more that you own your emotions and release your unhealed emotions, the less need there is inside of you for food. And so you're not using food to satisfy emotions anymore. This is where most of our addictions with food come about, through the satisfi- we're trying to satisfy So emotions. most of
3: us, when we're eating large amounts of food especially, that, that's one of the ways we're avoiding all this, all this grief or fear. Yeah, and got. one of the
2: reasons why the body needs large amounts of food is, uh, is because of the, the, the amount of strenuous effort it takes to avoid emotion. And, and it takes huge amounts of energy in your body to avoid emotion, so you need to have large amounts of food to avoid it. So high-calorie diets are the results of people avoiding large amounts of emotion and, and needing high-calorie diets, to, to the energy from high-calorie diets to suppress things emotionally. Yeah. The reality is once you uh, no longer suppress your emotions, You can eat all sorts of amount of food from nothing to to large amounts and your weight won't change at all. So, So it has very little effect, food actually has very little effect on your body aside from a healing effect on your body under certain conditions. So one of the reasons why we eat the way we eat still is because we're still dealing with different emotions and as we release different emotions, toxins come out of your body. And those toxins need to be dealt with by your liver and your kidneys mm. and other organs in your body. And so you need sustenance for those organs to recover from the dealing with those toxins. Some of them are poison, some of them are chemical and some of it's like just, just muck from the emotion, you could say. Mm. And, and your body needs a way of recovering, so, so we, we take a lot of care with mm. what we eat generally.
3: And do you have, like, funny moments with God during the day? Or is it like this discussion? You've, you've talked about the feelings that I Well, that's happening.
2: the other thing I'd like to say, is that from that moment of awaking, yeah. communication with God is already mm-hmm. going. Does that make sense? Yeah. So from the, from the moment of waking up, communication is already happening. And, and so if I can't feel my own emotions, I often are asking for God's help to help me feel the emotions, But all through the day, different events occur, and so um, you know, with people and by yourself. And if you're in a constant emotional dialogue, not an intellectual one, you can actually maintain an emotional dialogue with God while you're maintaining an intellectual conversation with another person. The reality is, our we have the capacity to experience more rapidly emotion than any other thing. Uh, thought takes a finite time to produce. Emotion can be felt instantly and transmitted. So so for that reason, it's really easy to maintain communication we've got throughout the entire day, even while you're doing other things. But there are times, of course, when uh, some emotion comes up that that you feel very, very disconnected then from your communication we've got. And so my priority then is to work my way through what that emotion so that it's not an impediment to... To connecting with God, and so the focus of myself and Mary's entire day is not to do anything else other than remain connected with ourselves and with God and with each other the entire day. Mm. And while we're doing that, we're doing many other things. So we're interacting with other people. We're doing seminars. We, Mary yeah. does a book study group, and you know, there's all sorts of other things going on. But we're still trying to maintain during those moments this open connection with God and our own family. so this is
3: where truth love and humility is so important in every single interaction we're having
2: during that yes yes and um, whenever you if you are self-reflective you will always notice when you're out of harmony with love mm-hmm. and therefore you know that there are things that you need to learn. You will also be very aware of what uh, is coming at you emotionally from other people. So what, most people on the planet are not very aware of what's coming at them emotionally. They hear mm. the words the person mm. speaking mm. without actually feeling the emotions that are coming at them. Or they don't put much store in the emotions coming at them. Whereas myself and Mary we look sincerely at the emotions coming at us all the time. So so if we find today that we attracted a whole series of very angry people yelling at us, and when we got on the internet, there were a lot of nasty emails and so <laughs> forth, then we realize that we're obviously in a state where we're accepting, emotionally accepting, attack. Yep. And so we look at why we're open to emotionally accepting attack, and usually you do that because there's a lot of grief about attack that you haven't felt. So. Then you have to feel it about the grief about attack, and um, there are the days when just lovely things come at you all day uh, for the entire day, and uh, and you can just bask in the enjoyment of of that process with God, like you know, and uh, and quite frequently we're we're constantly talking about God, God's attribute, God's nature, mm-hmm. God's characteristics, ourselves, our soul, our development, the laws of God, and so forth. That that involves every moment of every day, pretty much. So we don't spend much time doing what you would classify mundane things, even when we're cooking or cleaning or all of those things. We're staying connected with our feelings. We're staying connected with what we feel about what we're doing. We're staying connected with, uh, with God during the process as much as we're able, depending on the <coughs> development that we have at the time.
3: One of the things I noticed when I came up and stayed with you was just how beautiful and clean your kitchen and your floors were. (laughs) For all those who don't know, it's got these white, shiny floors. And the first thing I thought, wow, that's just so impractical. Why would you have white tiles in your floor? But after a few days, it was just a really beautiful experience. And they
1: were still shiny. Staying (laughs) there.
3: Yeah. Do you like to share about actually your living space and actually how important that is? Yeah,
2: well... I feel quite strongly that our living space um, is a reflection of our relationship with God in a lot of ways. And um, our, our living space, myself and Mary's living space, is very much designed around our passions. So we're passionate about a number of different things. Obviously, Divine Truth is the primary, one of the primary passions, but we're passionate about a lot of different things. And our living space, we've tried to design as much as possible to support those passions. The other thing is that uh, the more self-esteem and self-love you have, the more you wish to keep your environment in more harmony with cleanliness, Uh, Mm -hmm. and if you look at what God does, every little bit of rubbish that's on the planet, God has a means of cleaning it up. Mm -hmm. Breaking it down. Breaking it down, turning it into something useful oftentimes, or turning it into the environment. And it's only the stuff that man creates that God finds often the most difficult to do that. But even after hundreds or thousands of years, all of that also gets turned into natural matter as well. And so the way we approach our living space is exactly the same as that, in the sense that we feel there's a strong need for us to be tidy and clean we hate being messy because it uh, it means that we can't do our what we desire faster and yeah. <laughs> like when everything's messy then you've got to clean up first before you can you do a lot of things that you desire to do so we like we also believe in self-responsibility so if mary creates a mess mary cleans up the mess mm-hmm. if i create the mess i clean up the mess and so we have the, you know the understanding inside mm-hmm. of ourselves that we, we, we need to take personal responsibility. But I've also
3: noticed, way. even for yourself, I've seen you clean a pot mm-hmm. and take about five or six minutes to clean a pot. Mm-hmm. But it was like there was this real joy in cleaning the pot. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. how, how, how do we get to that point? Because <laughs> well, obviously that's a self-love.
2: Can it's a love of a number of things, not just myself. Um, yeah. I, I, I love the person who's going to pick up the pot after me. Yeah. And so I want the pot to be in its in most pristine condition, and so even if I pick it up in a mess, um, I'll put it back to its pristine condition, mm-hmm. as you know. And, uh, and if the pristine, and, and so it looks like it's just been bought, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And if I keep the pot in that condition, then um, what happens is the next person who picks it up has the joy of using mm-hmm. something in, a, in that pristine condition. And I also, so there's also a love of others involved. There's a love of myself involved. There's also a love of the resource itself. Um, A lot of mankind's resources took huge amounts of energy to produce. And so an average pot, for example, stainless steel pot, takes huge amounts of energy to produce. If I don't look after it, then I'm not respecting the energy that went into it, the, 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 the loss of environment even that went into the production of that particular thing. So... So I'm very focused on making sure that that thing lasts as long as possible in its pristine condition and uh, and is also available to the next person to use just as I would wish it to be available for me. And uh, so I, I take... To an extreme, I suppose you could say. the. But I, I feel it's too... Oh, it, just, it was Very, fantastic to watch. Yeah. And I was like, wow. And I enjoy the process of making it happen like that. Yeah. But also, I, um, I have the feeling, uh, as i voiced in the first century, I have the feeling that I would, I would do to others what I would like them to do to me. So I would like to be able to go to a pantry, pick up a mm-hmm. brand spanking pot that's nice and clean and tidy that I don't have to clean and tidy myself and be able to use it without having to go through a process and so and so i want to put that pot back into the cupboard for the next person to do the same thing does that make sense whether they do it with me or not because for for emotions.
3: us many of us it's just the avoiding of our emotions that is getting us into this this tired mentality when we're cleaning up our houses and we're doing this we're also, just avoiding our feelings. we haven't
2: often designed our home to support our passions and desires we often have a lot of things in our home that are actually not supporting our fashion desires. There's a lot of knickknacks and other things in our home that we have to clean that we have no use whatsoever. Or jump over. or Yeah, or we have to pretty... jump over or move around or manoeuvre around. There's a lot of clothes we choose that are not practical, they don't look great for a start. A lot of our clothes look boring and uninteresting, but also they're hard to clean and, they, mm. uh, and we can only wear them once and all, that, you know, all these kind of impractical things. We we often do a lot of very impractical things with our life which take our time and our time is the most precious resource. So if I have designed my environment to support my lifestyle, I will make sure that the environment around me completely supports me most rapidly engaging my lifestyle rather than interfering with my lifestyle. And so myself and Mary um, have very strong focus on having our environment support our lifestyle and not be an impediment to our lifestyle. And we're not perfect with it, of course, but, but uh, we, we do attempt to do that on a daily basis. But our emotions are more important than that, even. Yep. So our connection with God and our dealing with emotions is more important than tidying up a house, yep. for example, or keeping something. Yeah,
3: so if something emotionally comes up, That's everything, everything else, else
2: Everything else is is dropped. We, we, we often don't even eat until it's dealt with, but um, everything pretty much else is, is dropped until we've at least attempted to uh, connect with the emotion that's going on that's blocking our connection with God or with each other. Mm. Yeah. And so we will often have discussions that last the whole night. Um, as a result of that yep. or, or very late into the night if there's something unresolved we never generally go to bed without it un, without it resolved uh, emotionally resolved not intellectually resolved and so so that means you know discussing things until the emotions are and that's like
3: a discovery process that you go through of course and then uh, you know when you're connected to it Because there will be an emotional feeling. There's an emotional
2: release generally, and then there's a feeling of peace afterwards that comes after most emotional releases. And uh, and that's the beauty of that process, is that you end up in peace with each other, with God, and now when you go to bed, you're in harmony with each other um, rather than in disharmony.
1: So... So, you'll talk about it kind of until the emotion is like sort of comes up? Like yeah, that and it do. doesn't
2: always come up on that yeah. day, yeah. but then the very next day we begin our day with the same discussion. Yeah. <laughs> until it's resolved. Uh, we will even counsel events until the particular issue yeah. is resolved. Um, so, if we've, we've organised some kind of event or some kind of you know discussion or whatever, we will even counsel it. Yeah. Because
3: that's because until we love ourselves, we can't actually share love with others
2: exactly yeah okay. yeah. So. yeah
0: yeah
2: yeah that's so that and um, that's just sort of a general generalised discussion <laughs> of what we do at home i suppose Um our meal in the afternoon is generally a fairly light uh, when i say light it's a it's usually a raw raw meal involving nuts and vegetables and rarely fruit in the evening for us um I don't like mixing my fruit with my veggies or nuts, so I normally have fruit separately. We eat a bit of fruit during the day, but uh, then we have a meal around four. The reason why we eat before dusk is because we like to have our body have a bit of time off before we go to bed. So when you go to sleep, you actually feel quite light. Yeah, yeah, we don't feel heavy with food or anything like that generally, and uh, and it means we have a pretty good night's sleep generally, and, and unless there's emotions coming up, uh, during the night, then we normally have a very satisfying night's sleep. Mm. Yeah, but but the key is to maintain to maintain your connection with God. You've got to do ev- what we do is everything we possibly can to stay connected with ourselves, and to stay connected with God. So so that involves physical things, it involves emotional things, it involves spiritual things. What we read, what we discuss, what we talk about, what we see. It involves our entertainment even. So what we choose to do is entertainment. Um, it's not... Are things that we love doing, that we really enjoy, uh, that we get a lot of satisfaction out of. But usually our entertainment doesn't just have the, the result of ent- ent- being entertaining. It also satisfies a lot of our desires and passions in a lot of different directions. Yeah.
3: Cool. Thanks so much for sharing your yeah. time. Yeah, thanks for thank your time, time guys. Yeah. And look forward to questioning a few more things in the future, yeah. but I think this is just a really great chance for us all to be able to reflect on this. And yeah, thanks, Peter. Get yeah. some real awesome. hints. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your so. time doing it too. Oh, uh, it's been real busy, fun. So. Yeah. No, it's been really... Yeah.
2: Yeah. Any time. Thanks, Eloise. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: no, we would love to. Yeah. Thank you. You're really cool. All right, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. thank you. Yeah.